Hey guys, welcome to Unapologetically Different. This is episode number two. I'm Pierre and my co-host, Key. How's it going, Key? How's your day going so far? Hi guys, how are you all doing? Thank you for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. And my day is going pretty well so far. I'm a little tired, but I'm happy to be here and I'm going to start off a good week. Nice. I'm feeling pretty auspicious. I had a great call today with my life coach first thing in the morning and the week is it's going good so far and I'm I want to carry that momentum into this recording. It's Monday. That's a big word. Oh yeah. <laughs> For those who may not know what that word means, it's conducive to success. And that's that's what I'm trying to be. So, yeah. Speaking of success, let's just get right into it. Um one of the topics that we're going to discuss is primarily around qualification. What does it mean to be qualified in regards to current employment and being in the career in a, in a workplace? Um, I've noticed that when I graduated college, it was very difficult for me to find work. When I went to college, it was a perception that I went to a private um, institution, which was Syracuse University, and upon graduation, get this wonderful degree and get a job. But it didn't work out that way. Um, when I graduated, it took me like six months to get a job. I had to work with temp agencies. And if anyone know what it's like working with temp agencies, the jobs are not consistent. You know, they're called temp agencies for a reason. Um, so there's times you may be at a position for a week, two weeks to a month. It's several months at a time. And it was a lot for me to handle because I've always been employed since I was 14 years old. I've always had a job. So now when I'm breaking into this career path and I graduated college with a degree and I have all these years of experience, it was very difficult for me to find work. And I noticed that I was not the only one within that position. There was a lot of my peers who were going through the same thing. And I just want to get your take on it. What was that like for you? For me, I was definitely in the exact same boat. I went to Brooklyn College and right after I graduated, I had super high expectations. I told myself I'm coming out of school. I'm going to have like 60 to 80,000 K job right off the bat and I got smacked at reality really hard, really fast after I graduated. It was a, definitely a struggle trying to find work. And like one of the biggest things that came up all the time for me, um I I'm curious if you had the same experience was I love your resume you the education's there but you don't have the work experience that we're looking for and that like crushed me a lot so for me personally the way I got around that I went to school for business management and finance and I actually did an internship after graduating college which was like completely against I guess the grain or the norm but I had never really saw the value in doing internships because like yourself, I was working full-time since I was 16 years old. And I just found a lot of value in that internship. I worked at Merrill Lynch in their financial advisory department. Mm -hmm. And yeah, after I completed the internship, within like two, three months, it opened so many doors for me for different jobs just because they saw Merrill Lynch and... Once I saw that happen, I became a huge advocate for all of my friends and family. Internships, internship, internship. Because whatever work experience you do have, sorry, not work experience, whatever education you do have, it doesn't 
it's not as strong if you don't have the experience that the jobs that you're looking for want. And internships I found were a great way to make that happen. So I'm all for the internships. Yeah, I think um, just to kind of go back on what you said about going on interviews, I've heard that too. It's like your resume is impeccable. You have all these years of experience. You have a great, you know, in terms of degree, you're doing really well. But at the same time, it turns out that I was either overqualified or I wasn't qualified enough. And I've always questioned that because I'm just like, what does qualification mean? Like, you know, these employers want you to have 10 years of experience, like five, six degrees. And at the same time, even if you get these jobs, they're not really paying you. The pay rate doesn't even equate to your experience. Like you're, you're being underpaid and then you're overqualified. And I think it's really problematic for millennials because it's very common that a lot of us are in the same predicament where either the jobs that we seek were overqualified and then we're underpaid or we're not qualified enough. And I've always questioned what this qualification means and to what people does it apply to because I don't understand how you expect me to have years of experience. Clearly coming into this job, I'm not going to know everything. I have to be trained and I have to be taught things. And I would want to have an employer or a mentor within a work environment that's going to teach me along the way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a great worker. I'm a hard worker and I hit the ground running. So for me, it's not a problem for me to be in an environment where I may be challenged or I may not know everything when I first start because I'm going to grow. And I do expect myself to become better at the job that I do, which I've always done. So um, it's problematic for me because it's like, you know, we have this perception of you go to college, you get a degree, then you get this job, and then you have enough money where you can live on your own. But that whole, like, chronological order of how things are supposed to go is not working out for all millennials. It's like certain people are within that category, and then others are, they still have to live at home with their parents because wherever they're working at is not paying them enough to live on their own. I guess it depends on where you live as well. Um, but I do, to go back on the whole qualification thing, it's just... I think it's very problematic in a sense because a lot of these employees are not clear as to what they're looking for. Even in when you're applying for a job, it's slightly vague depending on what job you're applying for. And the reason why I'm really confused about the qualification aspect is because you see certain individuals get positions and they're not even qualified. They don't they don't even come close, yet still they're put in a position where they're going to be paid for the work that they do and they're going to be expected to do really well within this job but it only applies to selected few people. So I just, to me, it really bothers me and it makes me question like, where do we stand? Like, does going to college really matter? Does it make a difference if the whole concept of going is to get a better job? Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate my college education and my degree because it wasn't solely about academics. It was the people I came across in college and the network that I build and the kind of peers that I came across who are still inspirational to me to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will never regret college. Even I had the luxury of going, not the luxury, but the privilege of going abroad and staying in London for several months. And I enjoyed it. It really changed me as a person, as a woman. Right. Um, so I do appreciate and commend my college experience for what it is, but I do feel for people who may have went with the intention of, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to be set like what you had an old idea of and it does not turn out that way, you know. So I do feel for those people and especially if they're not able to navigate through that and find a better outcome. What is your take on that? Well, for me, I just feel like 
I'm always a big proponent of you need to understand the rules of the game for you to be successful at yeah. it. And like I was saying before, I didn't really have a clear understanding of what jobs we're looking for. So I actually have younger friends that are still in school. And I, like, once I had issues getting a job right out of school, it became like an instant thing for me that I wanted to share my experience to make it easier just for mm -hmm. my friends, family, or people that I may know. Okay. And I go back to just understanding how the game works because I do realize that a lot of jobs and just anything in life is about networking. And I think it's, like you said, it's huge college having that experience, like going to college and having that experience of meeting different people from different walks of life, different professors, yeah. students, faculty, all those people, those can aid in you finding work, gainful employment after school. And I've just always been myself a people person. And I, so I enjoy talking to people, getting to know people. And I felt like that helped me in my experience of looking for work or going through temp agencies and getting those jobs. And I say to my friends all the time, like, people like me. I like people. And I feel like that has been working in my favor throughout just school and my work career. I always put in the time and try to put the best the best product out there, whether it was school or work, but I found that in my experience, when people genuinely enjoy your company, you might get a job that someone might be a little more overqualified for just because of that that connection that you have with people. And I guess with, with saying all of that, I think with understanding the rules of the game when it comes to looking for a job some tips that i've provided to people was hey you're in college right now you're a sophomore hypothetically speaking what kind of jobs are you looking for what are you interested in and if you have that idea of what kind of jobs you want i tell people to look at those actual job applications see what the qualifications are see what the experience that you need is and then start working to uh, apply those things from now, even before you're getting into the marketplace. It's like if you're training for the Olympics, you don't wait till the year the year the Olympics is going to start and you start preparing for it. These people are preparing for it well in advance because they know what they're coming to expect. And I think with the, the I think with the marketplace is the same way. Knowing if you know if you're fortunate enough to know what kind of jobs you're looking for. Be proactive, looking at those jobs, seeing what kind of experience they want, seeing what kind of um, what to, what the criteria is, and actually work on adding some of those skills to your tool belt, or work on looking for internships where you'll work for free, but you will get that experience that people are looking for outside of school. And I guess one one more point I want to say on that. When I did my internship at Merrill Lynch, my brother actually used to make fun of me all the time because I was there with them for about three to four months and I wasn't getting paid. And he basically said I was just doing slave work, but I knew that me doing this is the legwork for me getting the job that I want in, it, in the future. I initially thought that my degree was enough legwork 
And I think in some cases it may be, depending on the school that you go to, if you're in an Ivy League school or a bigger, more accredited institution, you will get those jobs calling you back and people are going to be interested strictly on the school. But if you don't have that, then I think the internships, making sure you have the skills and understanding what that specific job you're looking for needs, that's so crucial. Now, I'm glad you really brought up that point, and I definitely think it's very valid. Um, And I think a lot of us have a different stance on where we are in our lives and how we um, interpret, you know, post-college and trying to find um, work and the qualifications and what stands for that. I think primarily while I'm on, while I was teasing out the topic too, it's kind of just to segue into now, you know, with the Betsy DeVos, I believe I said it right. <laughs> um, she was sworn last week for a secretary, secretary of education. Sorry about that. Um, and a lot of, it's been on people's tongue lately. Of course, it's a hot topic. And the issue is that she wasn't really qualified for the position. Not really. She's not qualified at all for the position. She was elected by um, Trump to become the Secretary of Education. And it's problematic because we just had this topic, we not topic, but this conversation in regards to qualifications, going to school, getting proper education, getting a degree, going into certain fields. Um, and that's all well and good, but you know we have a woman who is not qualified at all in the field that she's going into that is going to affect a lot of people, primarily young students and students of color who are going to be going to college and funding and everything of that sort. But before I get into her being confirmed and um, the confirmation hearing and how that process was, can you just give me some background information about her? So, Elizabeth, nicknamed Betsy DeVos, She's a 59-year-old woman. She's actually born and raised in the U.S. from Holland, Michigan. And I I actually haven't been very big on following the what was going on with the election prior to us preparing for this show. So I just did some research and I found out that Ms. DeVos, she's actually a billionaire. She comes from a wealthy family which I, I find it kind of is, um, what's the word? How do I say Might this? Might as well you be honest. <laughs> Don't be shy now. I think it's, it's difficult to argue to have someone in a position where they're going to be controlling a trillion-dollar loan program and financial aid when she actually never had to take out a loan or had to worry about paying for these things yeah. and not actually having the experience with running a program that's worth so much money. A, a trillion dollars is a lot. And like we said in the last episode, looking at things from a generational perspective, the kids are the future and a future generation of children are going to be dependent on the policies and the actions that the new Secretary of Education will be taking. Um, one of the things, well, in my research, two of the things I found that Mr. Voss is big on, a big proponent for, is charter schools and vouchers. Well, before you get into that, I just wanted to um, kind of get an idea of where we got the information about her not having um, any experience in terms of a trillion dollar budget. So during a confirmation hearing, 
Elizabeth Warren, um, which is a, she's a Democrat senator from Massachusetts. I love her, by the way. Um, she kind of went in. I don't even think went in. Went in is an understatement. She mm-hmm. just demolished her in the confirmation. She just, she asked real questions. You know, she wasn't there to hold her hand and to pat her back and say it's okay. Um, she really gave it to her straight, and I respect her for that. Um, and I think it was coming from a place of concern and the fact that you're going to be in this position what is it that you're going to do? What changes are you going to make? And through the um, hearing, Elizabeth asked her some questions in regards to her having any experience dealing with funding, whether it pertains to billion dollars or trillion dollar funding, if it dealt with her dealing with Pell Grants or loans. And come to find out, um, she did not <laughs> take out any loans and her kids didn't have to take out any loans. Um, and it makes me question, like, how can you resonate with, like, a majority I would say, of young students who are going to go off to college who have to take out loans and have to pay it back. You know, Sally may want her money back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, how can you resonate with that demographic of people when you never even had exposure to that? And that's problematic for me because, like, I went to college and I had to pay loans. You know, I have to pay back my loans. And these loans people, like, are representatives, when they call your phone, they don't really care about your financial situation and that, you know, that you may not be able to make a payment this month or your payment have to be lower. You know, they're still concerned about them getting their money. And the, the worry and concern surrounding that, I think it's really problematic because it's like, you're stressed out about regular things, you know, coming out of college and having to find work and then having to pay it back. You have up until like, what, six months? And I don't even think that's enough time to keep it honest. I mean, you could stretch it out a little bit more, but it's so far you can go. And I think anxiety comes around that, stress. And for some people, it's probably more than just that, you know? And the fact that you cannot relate and you're going to be in this position you don't even know what it's like to handle that amount of money and you won't even know what it's like to have to deal with paying back someone in terms of money because you came from money. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't negate the fact that she came from money, but the reality is that she doesn't have the experience to be in this position. Right. And that's where the problem lies. I felt like another person, another individual would have been just as, would have been better than her in this position because they would have had the experience. If there was someone who actually took out loans and had to pay it back and know what that was like, and are handling a significant amount of money on their own. Like they actually have like goals and they set them and they set them up well and they're doing a great job and they're consistent and they have a track record. I'd be like, all right, cool. But you ain't got nothing. So it makes me question like, so why are you here? And, you know, I really hope she does a great job within this role because she's already in it. And <laughs> there's like, we can't take it back. Um, you know, but it was crazy to me in terms of voting for her because it was 50-50 split. I mean, it was a majority, half of, it was half of Republicans who voted for her, like a couple, like one or two, three Republicans who voted no, and it was 50-50 across the board. And then Pence, which was the vice president, um, broke the tie and she was voted in. And I, I definitely thought during the confirmation and leading up to it that she probably wouldn't have gotten voted because I was like, it's so crystal clear like the woman is not qualified right. but apparently that's not the case um but i like the way that you tied it into and you brought up about one of her goals which is a charter school um can you speak more about it because i had cut you off by accident oh no worries um just to go back to what you said really quickly when i was watching the confirmation hearing i was actually cringing in my <laughs> seat because it was real yeah i i just felt like how is it even possible that 
she may get confirmed when they were asking a lot of tough questions and a lot of questions weren't getting answered. Like, for example, they asked her, Elizabeth Warren actually asked her, does she have any experience in education? And I think it's crazy that the Secretary of Education has no actual experience in the education system. So just just inconsistencies like that, it shows you how powerful having those connections and networks really is because um, it's pretty well documented that her family has contributed millions of dollars to the Republican Party over the years. So that could have played a major part in her being confirmed. But... um. Yeah, two of the two of the major agendas that I've I've found out that Ms. DeVos is big on is promoting charter schools and also school choice. Essentially, at the most basic level, charter schools are schools that are privately run but publicly funded. And the proponents for the charter schools say that it allows underprivileged kids to attend these schools using vouchers and what the vouchers essentially are let's say a student let's say the average cost of a student going to a public school is ten thousand dollars for the year and i believe that's what the estimates were back in 2012 Mm -hmm. with these vouchers the funding that would have normally gone to a public school would actually be sent to a public sorry, a charter school or a private school or a religious school of the parents choosing and essentially giving the the parents the opportunity to decide what kind of education their kids want. So there can be charter schools focused around engineering, charter schools for, focused more around languages and just liberal arts. So Mr. Voss is big on essentially creating a free marketplace for schooling where parents are able to different schools are able to compete and the parents are able to decide where they want to send their children based on what needs they believe their kids should should have and what's best for their education opposed to uh, public schools which are more uniformed and controlled by the government with their standards and standardized tests and protocols and curriculums that get taught um, me being a product of a public school myself, I I can't even I can't even speak to what going to a charter school would be like. To be honest, it sounds amazing. Like I couldn't imagine being like twelve years old and I'm going to a school where we're working on building things with like blocks and computers and I just feel like that sounds amazing, but there hasn't been enough research to to say, I guess, either way, whether the charter schools are more beneficial or more hurtful to the kids who are going to these schools. Um, The people who are really against creating this free choice for the schooling system, what they are, a lot of them are arguing is that if you're taking away public funds from these public schools to pay for the charter schools, then the, the majority of children who are still in public schools are going to be losing out funding, and it's actually going to hurt their education. So 
I see the pros and cons on both sides, and I try to constantly just be a biased bystander and basically judge it based on the facts, but it looks like DeVos is really big on pushing the free choice for the schools, and it just doesn't seem like there's enough research out there to say whether or not it's actually going to be beneficial. So it's kind of scary just imagining if there's going to be a huge push to start taking down public schools because we don't know what the how this is going to affect future generations that having to live through this and going through school in this system and if things start to change. So yeah. that uncertainty is is a big factor. Um, I don't know. I'm indifferent to that because I feel like for the past several years, it's been this high praise and glory for charter schools. It's like, oh my God, they've come along and it's been like wonderful. Um, but I've always questioned it because it leaves public schools in the background. It's right. like, oh, forget about them. Let's focus on charter schools. And listen, I'm open to, um being progressive in education and kids having enough resources and accessibility to things, but I'm also open to things being done right. And I feel like public schools are just kind of just, you know, like a stepchild. You, you don't have to deal with that person or you don't have to deal with it. You know, one of the, like not to say it like that, like there are people who actually have stepchildren they actually care about them for the ones who don't, you know what I'm saying. But there's never been for me growing up I don't feel like there has been a real resolution for public schools um, in terms of the grades and the scores and in terms of, you know, kids excelling. And there's always been like the negativity and people like really focusing on that, but there has not been a lot of resolution. And I think charter schools have just come along and it's like become a calling for people, but it really bothers me because it's like, what about public schools? Now, I'm that's like you said, I'm a product of public schools, and I came out fine, you came out fine, you know, we went to college, we did what we had to do, and here we are, and we're still trying to progress and do entrepreneurial stuff, you know, and advance our lives in many ways, and I just feel as if, you know, if people like me and you came out to be fine and actually are working on ways to becoming better in our career path, and we are a product of public schools, what does that say about the, the, the students who are there now, who wants a better future, who wants to excel in their career and want to make a difference in the world? Do we say, let's do away with them and just kind of figure out, just focus on charter schools? Um, I really, I don't understand why charter schools and public schools both can't coexist. I don't understand why it has to be either or. And over the past several years, it's become like a binary. It's like charter schools is everything. And then public schools are marginalized and it's at the end points. And there's no real concern or care for um, students within those schools. And it really bothers me because... I do feel as if if you put enough money and funding into public schools the way we do charter schools or if we provide the proper resources and, you know, maybe actually put some teachers in there to actually care about the students. I'm not saying all teachers don't in public school, but there's a couple who is like, okay, I've had a couple growing up in public school where I'm just like, you don't care about me. And it's clearly obvious, but you're here, you're getting a check and you're doing what you have to do and then you go home and that's that. But how about you actually having um, teachers in the schools who are really caring for the students? Not um, There are a good amount that are there, but I'm talking about others that do not care as much. You know what I'm saying? I think there needs to be more focus on that. There needs to be more focusing on restructuring the curriculum and finding ways for it to be progressive and putting funding and, like I said, money 
not solely funding, but also resources into these schools so that these students are able to excel at higher rates. Public school students are no less better than charter school students. And charter school students are not better than public school students. Let's make that very clear. A lot of them come from the same neighborhoods. They eat the same foods. They live across the street from each other. So it, it I'm really passionate about it, and it gets me really upset and slightly emotional because it's like public school kids, we don't matter anymore. And it's like, at what point did we stop mattering? You know, at what point did, I don't even know if mattering is a word, but <laughs> at what point did we not become as important as charter school students? You know, if that's her goal and that's what she want to aim for, God bless her heart. Um, is it going to work? I'm not sure. Because we've been on this whole back and forth with charter school and public school for years now. My concern is putting in the funding and resources into public schools and making sure they progress equally, if not better than charter school students. And if if she as a secretary of education can't bring that to the forefront, I'm not sure what her plan is going to be in terms of just focusing on charter schools. Um, I really hope that whatever she plans on doing is actually turns out to be better than what it is now. Right. But there's no guarantee if that's going to happen, especially from someone who probably can't even relate to being in a public school. So, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, where do you go from there? How can you understand people like me, frustration and anger surrounding about your your focal point being about charter school when you're not even from our neighborhoods? You, you didn't go to the schools we attend. You don't know what we experience, but yet still you want to come in and only make charter school a focus when I don't even think that should be the case. So that really bothers me and it gets underneath my skin. But I do want to make clear, I do not think um, teachers who are at public schools don't care about students. I just feel like there's a handful of them that don't, and I've had personal experiences with that. But I do think there's a majority of them in the school that actually really care, put their heart on the sleeve. They stay after, you know, after school programs come in early. They create their own curriculums. They're more progressive, and some of them have more progressive curriculums than other teachers and probably other schools, and they're actually pushing their students to learn. I've experienced having great teachers in public schools, but I've also experienced having ones who didn't care. So I'm going to speak on both. But um, I really hope that whatever she plans on doing, it works out. Because, you know, where the public school system is at now, it's it's really bothersome to me. And I really don't understand how... I, I just It just gets me really riled up and it gets me upset how it, it's a continuation of... Charter school is better. Let's focus on that. And in public school, let's just leave it at the wayside. That should not be the case. These students all matter, and their lives should matter, and their education should matter equally. And I don't think that one should be superior than the other. That's just my take on it. Uh, well, just to add on to what you were saying, I just I think yeah, it's really important to not leave any kid behind, no mm-hmm. child left behind. So if how that turned out, pushing the <laughs> child. Pushing the agenda for charter schools, I, I'm, just from what I've actually recently found out about them, is very intriguing. It seems like it's very interesting, and it could play a big role in just changing the way education is and making it more progressive. But at the same time, we can't, we can't like, like you said, treat the public schools like a stepchild. And that's like the biggest, my biggest concern is that we're going to be so focused on pushing one agenda that there's going to be millions of kids out there who are going to get left behind and their growth and progress is just going to be marginalized because of that. Um, 
and me personally, I, I can't remember one bad public school teacher. I loved my teacher. <laughs> or maybe they just loved me. I don't know. Whatever. But if you guys have a chance, definitely check on YouTube, Teacher Handshakes with Students. Definitely, there were some pretty cool videos that went viral of public school teachers who literally had cool handshakes with every single kid in their class. And I just think it's, it was just such a beautiful sight just seeing these teachers actually seen those videos. being invested with the kids and just having that real connection because yeah. that definitely makes a difference. And shout out to those teachers. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a very valid point. And also I've seen those clips and I like that. I like when teachers try to resonate with the kids and definitely try to fit within their genre of what they're doing and kind of relate more to them. It really makes them want to learn more and be more involved, which I think it's important. Um, now we're going to switch gears and really talk about this whole concept around being persistent. Um, if you've been watching our show, this is the second episode. We try to start off light with a light discussion, our topic, then we get into something deep, and then we end off with a light note. Um... And we kind of just like to mix it up a little bit. So right now we're going to be switching gears and talking about what it means to be persistent. Um, I was watching the Image Awards, NAACP Awards, and Denzel Washington won for Fences. And um, he spoke about, he his, his quote, his speech was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. But there was a part of it where he said, you know, if you fall down seven, get up eight. And his speech was primarily geared towards a younger generation of actors and directors who are coming up of color and explaining to them the need to constantly, you know, keep doing what you're doing, even if it's not working out in your favor, even if it may be uneasy and uncomfortable, or you feel as if you're not getting anywhere, keep going because by you keep going, eventually you'll get, you'll gain the accolades and you'll do great work. And he, he really brought it at home when he said, you know, um, if it was easy, there wouldn't be a him. You know, it wouldn't be a Denzel Washington, a Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer, Kerry Washington. I think that's very important. Um, and one of the things that he really spoke about was Barry Jenkins, um, you know, creating Moonlight. And he said that he did 10 to 15 short films before he did Moonlight. And look how it's getting so much accolades and praises for the work that it's done. And I think that's very important because... Um, I think within our generation, we want instant gratification. And I think in part why we, 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 we assume that, I think some of us, not all, assume that artists and entertainers who are gaining the accolades and the momentum and the money now, um, that they got it instantaneously. That some of them didn't have to work hard for it. It didn't take years and effort, but it did. So, I mean, some people, they got it within like, it was quick. You know, it was light. But there's other people that had to work really hard and really put in the work. And I think it's very important for where we're at now. I think a lot of us envision where our life should be career-wise and how much money we should be making and how much houses we should have and cars we should have. You know, and a lot of us are not in that position in our lives. Some of us have a hoopty. Some of us still ride the train. You know, like it is what it is. Like I, I, you, love, I love my metro. <laughs> like it's unlimited. Exactly. Do what it do. But... You know what I'm saying? A lot of us are not where we want to be in our lives. And I think that in part when we try to focus so much on where we should be, we lose the momentum and we forget about how important the journey is. And another thing that kind of stuck out to me was um, Solange, that I'm also obsessed with her. I love her. Um, she won for Best R&B Performance for Cranes in the Sky, um, a Grammy. And... During her Q&A after winning the Grammy, she said that she wrote Cranes in the Sky eight years ago. And I was like, wow. Like, 
to know that she wrote this song eight years ago and it resonates now and it's so powerful now and it's so good like everyone practically loves it and enjoy it, and hence why she won a grammy and it ties back into this whole thing about being persistent never giving up on yourself and continuing to work hard and I just think those messages are very vital for our generations and millennials. Like, don't give up on who you are and what you want to be and the things that you want to do. It may not be working out now. It may not be working out in your favor. But if you keep going and you keep pushing yourself and not really focusing on a destination, but what you're learning through the journey, it's a great experience. And I think it's wonderful to see a lot of these entertainers receiving accolades for how much work, blood, sweat, and tears they've put into their work no matter how many years they dedicated to it. And this is where they are now in their lives. And I think it's a beautiful moment. And I just think that it's a great time for us to kind of reevaluate where we're at in our lives for a lot of us who ex who expected to be like, you know, 10 years down the line, we expect to do all of these wonderful things just to reevaluate where we're at currently and focus on where we're at currently and what we plan on doing differently moving forward. What is your take on that? Yeah, that, I think that's consistency and persistent is huge there's a there's a study that i not a study sorry a saying that i i love where we got studies now <laughs> uh, essentially it takes 10,000 hours to become a master of anything and that i heard about that yeah i think it's that's a lot of hours though it is and that those 10,000 hours on average equate to about 10 years and when you really think about that, anything that you've wanted to actually accomplish and get done, from the first time you actually had that thought, if you put in the work and you were consistent and kept on applying those hours, you're going to get it done. I genuinely believe that we have the capacity to do anything that we want with our life. Uh, Oprah said it where we can, do, we can have anything that we want in this world but we can't have everything. So it's about being focused, being committed, and keeping your head down and just working. A lot of times I feel in this millennial generation, we're big on like social media, instant gratification, streaming movies right away, streaming music, and all that stuff is just- We got live on Facebook. Exactly. Child. It's literally, it's instant, and that pretty much has primed us for wanting everything that way. Like, I'll get into the train and if, if the subway is taking more than three minutes, there's a problem because it needs to come here quicker. And I think just with life and when you're trying to accomplish goals, you can't be worrying about where you think you should be. Yeah. You need to be present to like, present to the actual moment and just be there. If you keep your head down and you're, Focus, you're grinding, you're not worrying about what other people are saying, and you're just committed to what you're getting done. When you do look up, you're gonna have the accolade, you're gonna have the attention, people are gonna be seeing what you're doing and what you're up to, but that's only gonna happen when you're you're in your work and you're not worrying about the outside. So yeah, I really loved what Denzel said. And just to paraphrase, he said without without commitment you can't start but without consistency you'll never finish so yeah, that part was deep yeah i definitely got the goosebumps again that part was deep so yeah if and honestly i'm going into our podcast with the same mindset same 
This is our second episode, and I've shared with people. We've had some views. We've gotten feedback and for like people's opinions. But at the end of the day, we want to take all that opinions in. We want to hear what the people have to say. But we know what we're committed to, and we just gotta just keep grinding, stay at it, and just stay consistent. And I think having consistency be the main sauce. You're always gonna have success. You said sauce, but also I'm glad you said that um about the accolades thing and doing it for the accolades. And one thing that Solange did say is in that Q and A, she was like, "I've won before this Grammy when she written this song," and. I think that's a very vital thing to know It's that it's not always about you getting that award. It's not always about you getting that praise. It's not really, like I said, it's not about the destination, but it's the journey and what you've learned and grown and kind of taken in through that whole time. And I think it's very important. And I think if you're going to do something, whether you do it for you, don't do it for a prize because it may not happen when you want it to happen and how you want it to happen. And you're still going to be who you are. And your work is still going to be valued. It's still going to be great whether you get that accolade or not. There are people who haven't gotten awards for things, but people still know who they are. And they still stand out. Their works and their the efforts that they put in still matter and it makes a difference. So um, I also think that's very important. And, you know, just to tie it back with our podcast, same mindset I have with it too. I wanted to see it to go further. I want us to be very successful in this. But I'm not necessarily concerned about the destination. I'm worrying about the journey. I want to grow. I want to do better. And I, we really do take in people constructive criticism about how it's going. Um, if you have any good ideas, not necessarily ideas, sorry, but is there anything that you could tell us in terms of our podcast? And we definitely take it in and we'll talk about it with each other and how we can improve because this is a journey for the both of us. Um, so I just wanted to end on that note. Is there anything else you want to say? Yeah, we're definitely committed to getting better and just keep putting out the best product that we can we actually just set up the twitter account it's gonna be (laughs) unapologetic two underscores d and we would love to hear from you guys and you can also reach out to us at our email address which is unapologetic uh, unapologetically different at gmail.com so again we want to hear what you guys have to say whether it's positive criticism, things you think we could have done better, just topics you may want to talk about, things that you liked or resonated with you. Just want to hear from you guys and just have that connection because we're definitely committed and here for the long haul and we can't wait to just go on this journey with you guys. Thank you for tuning in and um, please follow us on our social media and we will be um, speaking to you guys in our next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Unapologetically Different. I'm Pierre. I'm Key. Hope you guys have a great day. Bye.